Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Do you know what satisfied me today? It is very easy. It is another Bears victory. And thank you, Brett Raider. I had some celebratory socks to lounge with afterwards. I don't care that Nick Foles is only throwing maybe a tub a week and under 200 yards. I don't care that David Montgomery did not go over 59 rushing yards. All I care about is the win. It happened. I'm done. Matt, let's go. Love it. Yep. All that matters is your record. Results over process. No doubt. (laughs) That's the way we like to keep it, especially in 2020. Matt, you had a very nice process that you spoke about on Fantasy Football Live, and it resulted... In a positive result. Let's talk about Houston at Tennessee and that fire passing game that we need to respect from the Titans. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that we've seen really ever since Ryan Tannehill took over this offense that this is one of the best and most efficient, and that's the key part, most efficient passing games in the NFL. They're not going to put up some of the raw volume stats of other teams, but you know, it isn't just Tannehill either, and it's it, it, it's the design of the offense and the comfortability with which he plays in it. Um, you've also got really good underrated high-end players. You know, there's not a ton, you know, again, they're not going to go like four or five deep at wide receiver, but when everybody's out there, you know, it's not as if Adam Humphreys is like a total scrub or something like that, but, you know, A.J. Brown, I think, is a superstar talent at wide receiver. Johnny Smith, even though he missed part of the day today, or a huge chunk of it today, um, Still, superstar talent when he's out there, but it's Tannehill's comfortability in the system. It's the way Arthur Smith, the guy that's got it, you know, I think will be involved in head coaching discussions at the end of the year for sure. Uh, you know, he's maybe a guy that the Jets could look at, whatever, some team that wants to recover their broken offense. Everything is clicking in Tennessee right now. And I think really, I mean, the bigger story, obviously, is Derrick Henry in this game. I, I, don't, I don't know that anyone's like shocked by it, but it's probably his best game of the season so far, too. So, Everything went right for the Titans today, you know, except the fact that they really couldn't stop a Houston offense that has definitely exercised the demons, at least on one side of the ball. When you mentioned Derrick Henry, the reason I wanted to start with the passing game was because we're used to Henry not being very involved when it comes to that aspect of the offense. We're used to seeing him murder men like Josh Norman and and just smash other defenders and rip off these crazy long runs. But the fact that he was fourth in team targets with five looks, he only caught two of those, but my gosh... 26 yards um, uh, for a a long game is pretty nice. And 
it seems like this offense, you're, you were spot on in that it's, um, it has depth, unexpected depth, and there's a cultivation of talent and new wrinkles and layers added to it because of the confidence that the team, all pieces of it, coaching staff and players, have in Ryan Tannehill and the stability that he brings. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's just one of those units that I think is going to still be a little discounted. I mean, obviously, like in DFS and other places, they were discounted today because they had played on Tuesday, you know, pricing sets before their game Mm. was over. But still, I wonder if like I wonder when the market is going to catch up to some of these guys like Tannehill. I mean, he was sub like QB 15 in drafts this summer. Um, A.J. Brown was really the only passing game asset that was priced at his ceiling you know so there's a lot of I think value still surrounding this passing game because we think of Tennessee as this conservative offense and you know as a run game operation they're they're pretty standard I I do think Henry brings like a different element than many other teams but a lot of what Mm -hmm. they do in the NFL I mean you look at the numbers with and without play action for Ryan Tannehill it's a huge gap I mean they just call plays that work in the modern NFL On the Houston side of things, you saw all of the receivers get involved in the red area of the field, which was great because for so long, we're like, well, we know that Will Fuller is probably going to lead this receiving core and targets, assuming he's healthy. And then maybe Brandon Cooks will find uh, find a touchdown and maybe Randall Cobb will get lucky, but maybe one of the tight ends, Darren Fells, uh, will fight. But now all four of them got into this uh, circus atmosphere. Week seven, the Texans will travel to Green Bay to take on what I imagine will be a rather salty Packers squad. Do you think moving forward outside of Will Fuller, and obviously that game bodes well for David Johnson, who, as we've discussed, maybe isn't a world beater, but in a soft matchup, he can exploit. Um, So we're, we're starting David Johnson for sure, who also found the end zone. But of these players and receivers beyond um, Will Fuller, who are you most interested in on a regular basis? I think it's probably Brandon Cooks uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, he's been super productive over the last two weeks since O'Brien's been gone. And, you know, that might not be a one-to-one comparison, but he scores again today. He's over 220 yards over the last two weeks. Like, he's been out there pretty much all season coming into his big breakout game, you know, even before he had popped with without O'Brien under under the uh, the head coaching title <laughs> this guy was on the field for 83% of Deshaun Watson's dropbacks in terms of like when he runs a route like this guy was out there and involved i think cooks is going to continue to be a feature in this passing game it's also key too that like since O'Brien has left the two things they've done more again they've used more play action and they've also taken more shots downfield i think that really fits well with Brandon Cooks skill set too i mean Randall Cobb will be a guy in decent matchups you know he catches a touchdown today that's great. You know, I, I was thinking he was going to end up getting more volume in this spot, but there will be some times mm. to use Randall Cobb. But uh, I think Cooks will be the one that's more valuable uh, throughout the entirety of the season. And certainly has the higher uh, ceiling. Yes. Let's talk about the Browns and the Steelers because Pittsburgh put an end to any optimism that the Browns were trying to cultivate themselves. We'll start with the Steelers side of things, though, because uh, Jake, Chase Claypool did keep it going, unlike Cleveland. Uh, four catches, 74 yards, and a rushing touchdown. This was his fifth touchdown, second. Fifth touchdown in two weeks, second in back-to-back efforts. We all know we're starting him whether or not Deontay Johnson is involved, right? Like, 
I think at this point, we talked about this even last week, he's probably earned himself more opportunities, even if Johnson were to return from the back issue or whatever ailment he may be nursing at the time. I think the big story is Juju Smith-Schuster and whether or not you can even think of him as a wide receiver three anymore. I'm going to admit, if if we were playing tilted or jilted, I am now completely jilted on, well, I'm tilted and thinking about jilting. Does that make sense? Totally. Now let's skew positive first here, or at least like, again, try to find the silver lining. <laughs> As I feel like I, I say every week with Juju, like if this game had been more competitive, I think he gets more volume, right? Like if Cleveland had put up a fight, I think there's going to be more, he's going to get more than six damn yards. This is what I'm saying. But at the same time, this is, this is the thing that I've been talking about with Juju pretty much like from the jump. He's not a guy that beats man coverage. He's not a guy that wins downfield. He is a volume-based player that you can scheme open and is really good at getting open versus zone coverage. But now Pittsburgh has, theoretically, when Deontay Johnson's back, they have two guys who can win outside on vertical routes against man coverage and can beat press. That is definitely what Chase Claypool is like. I can't believe, you know, there was like tight end talk with this guy. He looks like Vincent Jackson out there. If if we're being like conservative about it, he looks like Vincent Jackson. Um, you know, Deontay Johnson's a guy who can win across the route tree. He He's clearly somebody that Ben wants to lean on based on the first two games usage. So like that's going to, I think all of that is going to continue to be a theme. And for Juju, it's just the volume is probably not going to be there to the point where he's going to even come close to meeting those expectations. It's also a little strange that when you look at this guy with a great resume, um, by, by and large, like a, a guy that everybody seems to like is a very likable player, uh, at least publicly they have not extended his contract. Like they've let him walk into the last year of his rookie deal. It's worth wondering if there's some, some fire beyond that smoke. Well, when you're mentioning the volume though, Matt, like the volume wasn't there. When we talked about him on uh, FFL, we know that the ADOT heading into this game was, was five yards per target, right? Like that's, that's not awesome. Nobody likes that. So he does have to be volume based, but also he's not even seeing the volume. Like, he is getting uh, James Washington saw more looks in this one than Juju Smith-Schuster and in a matchup where Ben didn't need to push the ball deep. So there was, I mean, this could have been a dink and dunk, like just keep things moving and why bother pressing opportunity, especially given the matchup and the Browns being leaky versus the slot. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if the game had been more competitive, I think he draws more targets. But that that's only just because they'd have to throw the ball more. So that's like, obviously, that's yeah. the case. But at the same time, it's just there's just not much juice there in the role he's playing. And the reality of it is, this is the role he has to play because uh, he's not suited to be one of these one of these outside guys. And that's always been the case if you've tracked him throughout his career. Um, so there's not a ton of surprise there. Like these guys like Claypool and these guys like Johnson, they keep out targeting because their targets have more value behind them. Uh, let's talk about the Browns. Baker Mayfield ended up being benched in this one. Um, I mean, when you look at the matchup, and we talked about this on FFL too, right? Like the Steelers defensive line is wildly staunch like they can get after the quarterback the o-line was banged up baker mayfield is banged up he wasn't able to rise to the occasion the steelers secondary can be burnt but it didn't matter 
I, I don't really know what we like if the Browns are not in a situation where they can just wholly lean on the run. They clearly do not have Stefanski does not have the confidence to. And I don't know if Baker Mayfield has the confidence in himself either anymore to let it rip. Or maybe it is based on, you know, there's always when we're talking about OBJ and Jervis Landry, they're obviously college buddies. And like maybe there's just not good energy around this group and it's 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 not it's not connecting it's not clicking clicking yeah i mean after the game the head coach kevin stefanski basically says like this was a health induced like benching i i wouldn't have pulled him if he was 100 percent. when he's 100 percent, he will be our starter there's no question about it mayfield in his post-game presser uh says the injury had nothing to do with like didn't affect his play at all which is a pretty standard player response like i'm willing to just kind of like you know whatever like this was not unexpected like whether he's hurt or not this is kind of the result i think you're going to expect out of this passing game because of the player that mayfield is like they totally have the training wheels on him and it's great it works in certain spots. Like I love the way that Kevin Stefanski has designed this offense. They integrate a ton of concepts. They do man run schemes. They do zone gap. They do gap. They do everything. Like there's a ton to love about the way they're scheming up their offense and the way that they get Baker Mayfield, some of these layup plays that he did not have last year. But at the same time, at some point, you're going to have, you're, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have situations where your quarterback, whether he's healthy or not, has to go up against a top-level pass rush, and the training wheels are going to fall off. And when they do, you're probably going to get a result like this. I think that's the player that Mayfield is. Today, Just it wasn't surprising. Um, the result wasn't surprising uh, whether he was hurt or not. This is sort of where, where this team is expected to be at this point. And I think both things can be true. I mean, you're going to bench your starting quarterback, hopefully, and like let him stew a little bit. Let him watch. Maybe that motivates but I just think it's I think it is foolhardy to run an offense that invites close games when you don't trust your quarterback to bail you out of those close games and then you end up with a blowout but let's talk about um, Atlanta and Minnesota because there was a bit of a reversal here we talked about Kirk Trap being trending on Twitter and it was Matt Ryan that actually had you know if if we make an in-season parallel after and we talked about the Texans earlier after BOB's demon was exercised out of the building as you like to say this offense leveled up and now we see Matt Ryan potentially this is not new right Raheem Morris had this effect on the defense in the middle <laughs> of last year it, that did happen that's a thing that occurred and so now Matt Ryan went from being ice cold to Matty Ice in a matchup that everybody was discounting even though it was solid because of his previous play and frankly not knowing whether or not Julio Jones was just a decoy or back to doing or having the ability to do Julio Jones like things. Yeah, I think this this result pretty much has almost a hundred percent to do with the fact they get one of the best wide receivers uh in the game back to the level where he's at 137 yards and two touchdowns on a team high, 10 targets. Like yeah, that makes sense, right? Uh <laughs> like this is the bet one of the best players in his position. He gets back. We don't know where he is health-wise, but I mean, here he is. He's obviously playing really well. It's it's just too – it makes too much sense to to look at the way the Falcons' season has gone. The first two games, like, their offense is fine. They're losing because their defense is terrible and these mm-hmm. obviously just horrific late-game twists of the knife. But 
you know, then they go through this three-game slump where Ryan goes under 200 y- 290 yards passing in every game, has just one touchdown over three games. Uh, that all while Julio Jones is playing just 15 snaps. And, you know, you can argue, I think, that the gap between Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley has certainly closed. But once you look at Ridley and Todd Gurley, who's, who continues to play uh, pretty well uh, for the Falcons, or at least above expectation, um, once you get beyond those guys, there's not a lot in terms of defensive like who's going to scare you from a defense perspective like there's there is not a ton of star power beyond those guys so I think when you get Jones and Ridley back in there that puts defenses back in a bind that allows Matt Ryan to be the best version of himself well Kirk Cousins wasn't able to answer the call I guess you could say uh from the Viking side of things I was honestly shot, shocked when I saw at the top of the game Alexander Madison being stopped, stuffed at the goal line repeatedly by a Falcons defense that we have talked about not being particularly good or efficient. Um, what do you make of Madison? I mean, listen, I have to say, like, heading into this matchup, I made the point on the last pod, not ours, but the one with Andy, that... Madison did rip off, what, 130-some scrimmage yards in the second half of the game against Seattle. But Dalvin Cook was on his way to a 200-plus day as well. You know, like he ripped uh, off, I want to say, close to 90, maybe over 90, before he exited uh, shortly after the first half, right? So so we know that the Seattle defense, like, was giving up giant holes. Um, the question was, like, why couldn't Madison capitalize beyond, like, initially, right? Because we know that the answer is, like, well, then the game was out of hand, and so game flow didn't work in his favor, yada, yada, right. But, like, the guy had a shot at the goal line, and it didn't happen. Yeah, I don't know. That was It was definitely one of the more um, perplexing things of the day, right? Like, it seemed so easy to just think, okay, Cook out, Madison in. Madison's a pretty good player. He's played well whenever he's gotten opportunities uh but sometimes things happen you know and and this was one of those times i think is probably just the best way to look at it yeah um anyway cook will be back so you don't need to scratch your head about it any further but we will move on to baltimore at philadelphia didn't lamar jackson say uh that he wanted to run less uh, 108 yards and a touchdown on the ground today on top of 186 passing yards and a passing touchdown. We talked about this passing game not fully being in sync during our FFL halftime show and surmised that maybe Baltimore was playing the long game. And and I did after we talked, like I'm watching that game and seeing Devin DuVernay getting more and more involved um, in creative ways and Willie Sneed is out there. And so maybe... The passing game theory is in an in a matchup that, at least at that point, seemed pretty out of hand. Um, they could try out some new stuff with some new players, also it, with the main focus being January, as you mentioned. Yeah, I know. The the thing is, like, I, I guess you I guess you could say that, like, right, like getting some different players involved. You know, uh, they almost left Philly back in this game. You know, that like that was uh, that was pretty problematic on that mm-hmm. end. You know, Carson Wentz, like literally Carson Wentz just basically just throws the entire playbook out and just like, screw it. I'm just heaving it up to Travis Fulgham every chance I can get <laughs> trying to come back in this game. And why not? And hey, to, to their credit, like, yeah, why not? Right. Like, this is probably the only thing that's going well for you from a passing offense perspective. Um, but, yeah, I think the I'm. I'm I'm just I don't know how to feel about the Ravens. I'll admit to being like confused. You know what? Like what do we what do we do with this team that is 
clearly not firing on all cylinders. Like we know the talent is there. They're frontline players, you know, guys like Marquise Brown, fifty-seven yards on four catches, six targets. Like Mark Andrews has had some very is is extremely volatile so far. Like some of their best players are sort of just fading. It looks like they're trying to they're clearly still trying to figure out their running back rotation. Like I almost think they'd be better off if they just like settled on a guy. You know, like they just mm-hmm. settled on mm-hmm. Mark Ingram. Like let's go back to feeding Ingram the way we did last year, or like. Let's just fully unleash J.K. Dobbins or like, hell, let's give Gus Edwards 20 carries. I don't know. But like but, settle but on one player. But they're having the let's... room to tinker. Like I agree right. with I, you, I but, think, who, yeah. but who cares? You know, like from a non-fantasy yeah. perspective, if I didn't have like people blowing me up on Twitter being like, well, what should I do with Marquise Brown? Like, I don't know. I think from a coaching standpoint, it's fascinating to see this team continue to be tweaked instead of just like, well, we know it worked last year. Let's copy and paste. Like that's not how evolution happens. And maybe in this one, after the game got a little too close for comfort because they had been tweaking too long, as you mentioned. And then it's like, well, you know what? We do know what works. So Lamar, go out there and run. And they can always fall back on that. So I, I don't know. I think it's a fascinating experiment from a real NFL perspective. Less fascinating, though, is the Philadelphia Eagles. Miles Sanders, uh, nine carries for 118 rushing yards before he left with the knee injury. And then Boston Scott came in. And, you know, there was a, I guess we can call it a miscommunication, but I can just hear the Philly fans, which are not, you know, that that's not a group of people that's necessarily demure about their feelings uh, and their team uh, screaming about Boston Scott and Carson Wentz having a miscommunication that like ultimately was the nail in the coffin for the Eagles in this week. I will also say though, from a fantasy perspective that Boston Scott, it's Miles Sanders is going to get an MRI when you're listening to this today, uh, Monday to see whether or not he's healthy enough to come back. But I still think Boston Scott is going to be a waiver wire consideration because everybody is banged up and the whole thing is trash. Can't argue with that. Oh, we should talk about Zach Ertz. I mean, you want more trash. Like, oh, do we have to? I mean, do uh, we like, have to talk about Zach Ertz? 10 targets, four catches, 33 yards, also banged up. But like Dallas Goddard is expected back soon. So, you, I, yeah, there you go. Dallas Goddard, it's like that's, that's a guy that I would like try to if i made any trades which i never do because i'm a coward in fantasy uh but like i would i would try to trade for dallas goddard because i think like they need some answers at that in the offense in general they have this one guy coming back and like they obviously have a lot of guys coming back right like jalen rager deshaun jackson theoretically still plays in the nfl same with alshon jeffrey like we get reports about these guys eventually coming back who cares um i I think dallas goddard's a guy that's going to be a big 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 part of the offense like they I clearly still want their tight ends involved. Richard Rogers pops up every now and again. Like Zach Ertz is this close to breaking it, breaking a tackle at some point this year. He'll, he'll get some yards after the catch, but we'll see. Uh, so I, I would definitely like put Dallas Goddard's name in the back of your mind as someone to maybe get uh, on the cheat before he comes back. Fulgham is still pretty much available. And I know that there's like a hesitancy to adding a Travis because you mentioned like Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson coming back, but like I, I am, I am with you. I, who cares? It doesn't matter. Like Fulgham yeah, is now, cares. he is the guy. We just talked about how Zach Ertz is putting up the ball and being like, Hey, savior, you're it. And he has been it. So I, I don't think that that is going to shift at all. Also, what remains a contest, uh, a consistent rather, is Philip Rivers' inability to just chill the F <laughs> out for a minute. <laughs> 
<laughs> he can't help himself. I mean, he, he can't help himself. No. Like even in a game where he's playing well, numbers are great, mm-hmm. you know, way above his expect expected completion percentage, like he's playing well. Still got to throw that fourth quarter interception to make things a little uncomfortable. But yeah, I mean, this was a, I mean, from a Colts perspective, it was at least nice to see them come up with some counter punches on offense because I think they sort of put themselves behind the eight ball with some of their early work. Um, but Rivers did outside of that one interception, which again is just a Philip Rivers requirement. Uh, it's part of the experience. You signed up for this, Indy. Um, I, I thought overall, like their passing game was much better today than it was in general. I'm still not ready to say this is a good team. I still don't really get it with the Colts. Like they had to pull out all these stops to beat the damn one three and one Bengals. So there's your lollipop for that. Uh, but yeah, overall, uh, I'm glad that they got themselves out of that hole that they sort of dug themselves into. Jonathan Taylor had 115 total yards. Marcus Johnson was the Colts leading receiver because everyone predicted that five for 108 on eight targets. I think the interesting thought from a fantasy point of view is Trey Burton's involvement. I didn't like him, you know, poaching, uh, running in a touchdown and poaching Jonathan Taylor at the goal line. But we've talked about Mo Cox not being healthy and kind of being faded. Jack Doyle did find the end zone in this one, which of course was just another extra tilt. But Trey Burton remains the option here. I believe that the Colts are in buy-in sevens in week seven. So don't, I wouldn't start messing if you need a tight end. Don't, don't stream for week seven because Trey Burton's not going to be on the field. Um, and then since he, <laughs> that's just FYI. Well, I mean, we, I feel like we have to make scheduling notes every week because everything is all, you know, for cocked. And, and so we don't really know who, I mean, did, they had a COVID test too, right? So um, anyway, they're supposed to be on by. We'll see if it, it stays. Uh, T. Higgins went for over 120 yards. A.J. Green cleared 90. Tyler Boyd. A.J. Green did a 54. thing in the, in the washed and- receiver bowl of A.J. Green versus T.Y. Hilton. A.J. Green clearly ahead. When he reached to the side and kind of laid out for that for that ball at the end, uh, I like, I felt like I heard his groin creak and I was like, Oh God, like I could feel the pain for him. It just looked super uncomfortable. And I held my breath watching it, but was glad to see him bring it down. Are you, you're still treating T Higgins as the, uh, the air, the, not the air apparent anymore, but the, like having leapfrogged AJ green as the number one outside receiver in this offense though. Right. Yeah, I think if you're ranking for rest of season, you would have T. Higgins ahead of Green for sure. Would you have Cam Newton ahead of Drew Locke? Because this game was a little bit yes. head-scratching. Also, we're talking about Philip Rivers turning it over, and I was like, oh, you know who else does that but just isn't as old? Woo, Drew Locke can't help himself either. Uh, but after three different <laughs> scheduled dates, we finally got this game, and... Man, it was lit. Uh, zero touchdowns from Denver, but Brandon, McMan- Brandon McManus had six field goals. Philip Lindsay managed uh, over 100 yards. Tim Patrick, by the way, continues to be serviceable and under the radar. I've mentioned him on waiver wire pickup shows before. He went over 100 again, eight targets. Uh, I mean, Noah Fant wasn't in this one. KJ Hamler wasn't in this one. Maybe that changes for Tim Patrick, but I think we got to give him some respect at this point, even if it isn't a sexy name. Yeah, 
the Broncos, like, good thing they have Tim Patrick since they've been so uh, injury-bitten at the wide receiver position, really all over their entire offense. We know the deal there. Uh, I, I agree. I had the same thought with Drew Locke and Phillip Rivers. I'm like, yeah, Drew Locke, you know what? You're you're young enough to make that mistake. Phillip Rivers, you should know better by now, okay? <laughs> you're, you're, too, you're too old to make that mistake because they happen, like, sort of right around each other. But, yeah, the same I mean, time. Cam- the Patriots were – I don't know what the deal with the Patriots were. They seemed very off. They seemed very, like, rusty. You made the point that they weren't having super secret uh, COVID workout parties, uh, theoretically, like the Titans were, who remained hot during their giant absence. Uh, you made that point in the halftime show. Uh, maybe that has something to do with it. Cam was still fine in terms of fantasy, like over 19 points because he had 10 carries, 76 yards, and a rushing touchdown. But definitely felt out of sync in terms of this Patriots offense. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking that we might see something better going forward. But that was definitely a bit of a letdown. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next week, the Patriots will host the 49ers. 49ers, I believe, are playing right now, right, while we're recording. Can can. Can confirm. They are playing right now. Uh, So we will see what that looks like. But uh, you're right. I have to imagine that this was a a rust effort and they will tweak. We opened the show talking about Chicago at Carolina. Teddy Bridgewater never really got it going. But the thing about his gameplay that continues to impress and not even surprise me anymore, but just make me like give him a little bit of a fist pump is his rushing ability, like he's out there juking it up and I appreciate it. Mike Davis, like didn't have a standout game. If we're talking about the rushing game in relief of CMC, but it was still useful enough because he found the end zone. DJ Moore finally got the volume and Robbie Anderson got the YPR. I don't think Anderson, uh, people who've rostered Anderson particularly care that it only came on what, like four receptions, his 70 plus yards when he laid out on the left sideline. It was a gorgeous thing to watch. He's going to get it done every week. Mm -hmm. He's still, I think the team's number one, but DJ Moore did at least uh, draw double digit targets in this one. Yeah, pretty much it was just those two guys in the past game you know uh, yep. Mike Davis still catches two balls but just for three yards uh no one else had more than 15 yards on the day uh it was pretty much just the DJ Moore Robbie Anderson show and you know Mike Davis the volume was still there 18 carries on the ground like I said two catches he scores one rushing touch that wasn't a big game but like you know this is I think what you expected i still really like this panthers offense i think it's a good unit this is just you know the difference between playing the falcons last week right before they fire their head coach and playing the bears defense who might be you know one of the only three good defenses in the league right now um let's talk about the chicago offense though because i agree with you about their defense um it is what it is much to say right yeah adding to the adding to the Darren Fells, Trey Burton tight end tilt was Cole Komet, the rookie out of Notre Dame, finding the end zone and Jimmy Graham uh, grabbing five balls for 34 yards. Also, like you're not going to see giant gains from Jimmy Graham. Andy made this point on last Friday show, and that's that Jimmy Graham is going to back his way into the end zone, and that's where his opportunities are going to come, but he is not going to, like, stretch the field or or rip off a long run after a catch or break many tackles. Like, that's just not in his skill set at the current place he is in his career. So Cole Komet got the touchdown. If you thought that probably a tight end would get a touchdown, congratulations, bringing it all forward and together. You got the process right, but that doesn't matter because – 
We live in a results-based world. Let's talk about, uh, speaking of results-based, how do you think Matt Patricia feels about the result of his Lions traveling to Jacksonville? Got to feel pretty good about himself, you know? Yeah. Uh, Pretty sick, you know, didn't lose because that's kind of the Matt Patricia thing is to lose games. Um, I am hoping, though, you know, they're coming off like an actual normal bye week. One of the few teams in the NFL that 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 has one of those right now, like a normal. We didn't actually go to the facility Denver Broncos style, and then on f- Friday Saturday find it. Oh well, we're not playing. Uh, if you're Melvin Gordon, you better complain about it and then hop in a car after a few drinks. Whoops, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> I think with the Lions, like I'm hoping during their normal bye week, they had some introspection. And they looked at their backfield and they said, do we really want to be a team in 2020 that like runs through Adrian Peterson? Is that really the most conducive to success? Probably not. DeAndre Swift gets really involved in this game. Uh, 18 touches. He has one at the goal line. He rips off a 50-yard run. I think this is more like in an alternate universe. This was the Lions offense that probably could have been this way had Swift never gotten hurt. I mean, Peterson was still involved. Like it wasn't as if they just threw him on the scrap heap or whatever. He had the early touchdown. Um, he was also coming into this week, like after give, you know, doing, having blood work done on him. So maybe that had something to do the with it as well. Right. Yeah. Like Tom Pellicero from the NFL network reported that, uh, they were worried it was his appendix that he might have to have it taken out or, but it wasn't. Uh, so he played today. So maybe we saw his workload and his role reduced because of that. He still played just one fewer snap than DeAndre Swift, but I just wonder if Swift right now, he's definitely a guy that's like trending up, right? Like his stock is on the rise after this yeah. game, but um, I'm hoping that it's more of a permanent sea change because I still think there's more excitement behind this Lions offense, you know, than 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 it, we've seen so far is, is basically the long and short of it. I mean, I would say it's less about Swift's health and more about him dropping the game-winning, the potential game-winning touchdown in week one and knowing that Matt Patricia is like a disciplinarian, right? And I think that now they came into the bye and like he got, baby got put into the corner for a minute and now he is back in the good graces and... And here we go. So I do think I I am imagining like you and being hopeful, silver linings. Here we go. That optimistic about this being a swift change in the backfield and the rookie seeing more and more uh, high value opportunities, though. I mean, we can always anticipate that Adrian Peterson, like, is probably going to annoyingly vulture a goal line look or two every week because that's what his contract. What was. (laughs) Yeah, that's a perfect way to say it. Um, I think. More tilting. I mean, that was like a good tilt. It was like good to be like, oh, I don't mind being yeah. wrong oh, about sure. Adrian Peterson. Great. Uh, the the hard tilt was being yep. wrong about Keelan Cole versus Lavishka Chenault. Holy! Sh- how much how much airtime did we give to Lavishka Chenault on FFL this morning? Uh, Vic, that guy. Well, I was wrote like, about his ass. Everything. Me too. Me too. Fantasy Football Live presented to you by Planters, State Farm, and LaVisca frickin' Chenault. For LaVisca Chenault. <laughs> ten, yeah, ten, 10 yards out. Oh, 11 total yards because he, uh, he did have one rushing yard. So there's your silver lining. Well, I mean, he is versatile. We know that, right? That, that That's yeah. part of his appeal, as we've discussed ad nauseum. Yeah, we discussed it. <laughs> I, think, I think the deal with the, with the Jags here is like, 
I feel like we the September shine was still on this team and still has been on this team for a decent amount. Like mm. the way they opened the season with a surprising win over the Colts, uh, they they pushed they put thirty points on the Titans in Week Two. Man, that that feels like so long ago uh, now at this point. You know they've gone under seventeen points in three of their last four games. Um, you know it, it's not and it's not as if there's nothing of appeal in this offense like. James Robinson scores a touchdown in this game, but he has 12 carries for 29 yards. Like, I think this – I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Like, continuing to rank him even in good matchups in the top 10 at the position is a mistake because it, this is not the type of offensive environment that's conducive to that type of running back scoring. There's also not a lot – like, there's not enough volume and efficiency in this passing offense that if we get the Keelan Cole, LaVisca Chenault debate wrong, that there's going to be anything to save you. It's like, right. well, it's going to be one or nothing. It's going to be one of these guys and then nothing for the other. Because Chark still had 14 targets. I mean, he didn't do too much from a fantasy perspective. Caught seven, seven passes but didn't go over 10 yards per catch. So – I think we just kind of need to accept that this is what the Jaguars offense is. And like for people, and again, I am completely guilty of this too. So I'm not calling anybody out, like continuing to rank Robinson so high, continuing to prioritize Minshew as a really quality streamer. I mean, again, decent fantasy day today. Um, or, and like trying to find sleepers deep within the receiver core is probably a mistake because of the way this offense is right now. But if we also are, accepting things about this offense we have to accept the fact that dj chark might just be the fulcrum under which it all revolves or at least his connection with gardner Minshew, because the other wolf game was against the dolphins and chark wasn't in that yes. one and chark was a jet he was a game time decision for this one he had i mean 50 percent efficiency is not a dj chark effort and so i have to imagine that he isn't just because a player takes i mean they're superhuman they're like these wild athletes, and we know that his speed, anyway, right? Like, you can look back at any of his games at LSU and know that from an athletic perspective, he is absolutely electric. And if that is compromised, then he isn't able to do the thing that he is valued so highly for. And so I think that without him being healthy, now I'm also seeing how the ripple of that negatively affects the other pieces and also adding in the fact that there isn't enough um, stability here to buoy anything else to your point. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good, a good way of looking at it. Like Chark is, is that type of guy uh, and having him come in at less than hundred percent, like who knows? And I think we do that. You're, you're right to point this out. Like, I think we do this all the time with players like, Oh, well, they were out there. Like, they were out there. Like, like that counts, but they might not be their full uh, capacity. Same thing with like Baker Mayfield. Like we're all making jokes on Twitter about him, but like, you know, it's a guy that probably wasn't a hundred percent today, just like Jimmy Garoppolo the week before, but who knows? I mean, we just, we have no idea. Um, we do have an idea about the Washington football team and the New York giants. Let me just say, ideas. we do have an idea about the NFC East, right? Like th this is, we, we got to talk about it because some people have these players on your fantasy squad. I don't really want to talk about Daniel Jones. Hooray, he got his first touchdown since week one. It's more interesting to talk about how he did that, and it was on a nice pass to Darius Slayton, who also added 74 rushing yards. I mean, uh, it was Daniel Jones added 74 rushing yards because he's doing the Carson Wentz type thing, which is, oh my God, everything is broken. I only have one guy who can do anything for me. And if he is compromised, then I guess I'm just going to run the ball and pray. Uh, Darius Slayton continues to be an X factor. He is the only receiver that um, Daniel Jones has eyes for. You're going to fire him up every single week and he's going to live in that like low end wide receiver two area. 
Woof. What a what a rough group. What a what a rough group here on offense. I I didn't uh I didn't realize that Daniel Jones hadn't thrown a touchdown since week one. You said that, and I was like, really? I had to go. I had to look that up. I can't believe that. What a, I guess I just. I mean, oh my god, what a. What I mean, a but train that's, Darius Slayton also hasn't because of the thing I talked about. That was also the last time Darius Slayton found the end zone, and like. He he had two catches in this game. That's not hashtag good, but he saved the day in the end zone. But you're still going to not start Darius Slayton because of his different from the rest of the pieces um, yeah. ability, you know, and, and the fact that he's the, the only the only positive thing that Daniel Jones can lock in on other than other than running. Yeah, uh, they might get Sterling Shepard back back soon. I think that'll obviously fix everything. Oh, it's fixed. Yeah, that's the Band-Aid. I mean, poof. Magic wand right over that. All of it. Uh, Kyle Allen passed for 280 yards and two touchdowns in the start. This was the first game we saw Kyle Allen as a Washington football teamer for all four quarters. And he also found Logan Thomas, who scored for the first time, I believe, since week one. Oh, so God, congratulations yeah. if anyone dropped him like if that that happened. Terry McLaurin turned 12 targets into seven catches and 74 yards. You're going to continue to start Terry McLaurin. It was nice to see him get back to being like the alpha receiver status after an underwhelming week five. But you're going to continue to run out. What What do you think about this backfield, though? I think that to me is Ugh. is OK. You just that sums it up, I guess. <laughs> It's sad, right? Because I really do think there could be, I think there could be some juice if uh, Antonio Gibson like was the guy, but you just think clearly this is not going to happen because he's sharing duties with JD JD McKissick. Yeah, JD McKissick, uh, he of eight carries for forty one yards uh, and six catches for forty three yards. That is the Kyle Allen special for sure. Uh, it's it's awful to think that. I mean, number one, I like now that we, Alex Smith has like had his moment. I think it's all fair to say like that he probably shouldn't like we don't. I don't really need to see uh, Alex Smith play quarterback for this team again. I think Kyle Allen probably is better than Alex Smith at this point in their respective careers. Uh, that's not saying very much. Um, it just I, I don't think it can be like Dwayne Haskins can't be worse than this. Um, Kyle Allen might know the system, but good lord. I think there's some. You've said this before. There's probably there's gotta, gotta be, be some, something going on. They just don't. They just. I think they. I think they made their decision about Dwayne Haskins before they ever like, you know, before they ever like, really like gave him probably gave him a shot. Like, yeah, this is not my guy. Like, he needs to come in and like, you know, completely wow us in order for me to like, if I'm Ron Rivera to consider him my guy. Didn't happen, obviously. And here we are. And and here we are. Um, do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to wake up tomorrow morning saying, and here we are? Or do you think he's going to text Indomitian Sue and continue their chat? <laughs> yeah, it's nice to see a couple of good old uh, NFC North uh, buddies <laughs> catching up from their from the good old days of uh, Sue's good old stomping days, I should say. Like literally stomping grounds, you know, <laughs> the NFC North stomping I grounds. Got, no, no, I, I got it. I was like, I couldn't believe that the broadcasters weren't just going there. I was like, we we know that these two have beef. Like we, this yeah. is a, this is a memeable moment. Let's just do it. But instead, we want to talk about like 
Tom Brady and uh, his quippy his quippy repartee with uh, LeBron James on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it's like the worst thing in the world is whenever there's something that like funny happens to Tom Brady, like his, you know, I forget what down it is, like holds up the four fingers. The worst thing in the world is that, you know, he's going to turn it into some like mildly charming um, semi-viral Twitter moment uh, or I should say his team is. So great. Good for you, Tom Brady. Uh, Ronald Jones Uh, is the engine of the Bucks offense. Great. You're right to say that Ronald Jones is the engine of the Bucks offense with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans back, but the defense was the engine of this entire squad, which was much like debated going into this effort without Vita Vea in the lineup, and it, they did just fine without him. Picked off Aaron Rodgers, what, twice? Four, uh, twice. Two separate times. Yes, uh, and forced forced four sacks. They were really all over him all day. Uh, I, I've been saying all season that on balance, like it's been no question that the Bucks defense has been better uh, than the Bucks offense. They've been the strength of the team. I love the way Todd Bowles is like aggressive attacking. I mean, we saw um, Boyle, Tim Boyle, the guy, the backup quarterback for the yeah, Packers. The we saw Blaine Gabbert in this game. Like, yeah, it was it was. It was no. I thought the Packers, like Packers, come into this game leading the NFL in points per drive, yards per drive, like clearly the best and most efficient offense in the NFL, and they just get worked in this spot. Um, you know, coming off a bye week too, and they get Devonte Adams back. So yeah, I, I mean, it could easily just be a fluke, uh, but this was definitely the first like big test for the Packers, and they failed that test. And they both had ample time to prepare because the. The Packers were on a true buy, as I guess we're going to call them. And uh, Brady and the Bucks had the Thursday night game last week. So there was ample time to get ready for this one. Um, I think what I find also, when we're talking about the Packers, I was actually excited to see A.J. Dillon out there just to see what he, how he was running, especially against this defense. Uh, it was cleanup time. It was with Boyle under center, right? But it was nice to see him out. Well, nice in quotes. Like it was interesting to see him out there. Um, on the Buck side of things, I I get asked weekly, and I'm sure you do too, about like there's always if I get a tight end streaming question or I get a start sick question, like at all pretty regularly. Rob Gronkowski finds his way into a lot of questions. And I'm always like, eh, nah. And now I feel like I can't I can't just say that anymore. So are you considering Gronkowski? I especially thought in this matchup without Chris God- I mean, now that Chris Godwin is back, that you definitely were gonna have to fade Gronkowski. But like he leads this offense in in yards and targets, eight targets. Five catches, 78 yards. Rob Gronkowski averaged 15.6 yards per reception. I hate 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I was definitely surprised by that. And, like, the Mike Evans, like, when when Chris Godwin's involved, that's been a problematic situation, too. Evans just one catch for 10 yards today. I expected a much bigger game because, I, I mean, I expected this game to be more competitive. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think Gronk is definitely inching more into consideration than he would have been, um, you know, otherwise. Do you think it's fair to say, we've already said that Ronald Jones is the engine of the offense. Do you think it's additionally fair to say uh, that we should also mention that Leonard Fournette did not take the field, so he wasn't, he, he was a game time decision surprisingly surprisingly didn't didn't take the field yeah yeah people were reporting that you know Fournette was expected to play 
and he didn't end up going. Um, you know, don't know, I don't know what's up there, but like Ronald Jones has been good for two straight games. Like you wonder if like, I mean, yeah, obviously Fournette's a big name, whatever, but you know, the coaching staff has no attachment to Fournette. You wonder if they'll keep it in Jones. I don't, I've no better than to like have conviction about this backfield. Okay. I'm not going to make my life that miserable on purpose. There's, there's plenty, there's plenty to make life miserable. Okay. Don't need to go like doing that to myself. So I, I think that this could go any different direction. It wouldn't surprise me that even if when Fournette is back there, He's not a big part of the offense because Jones has been playing really well of late and the the Bucks could conceivably just want to ride that momentum. Now it's also worth noting, like start your running backs against the Packers. Like no team just was True. like, please run on us more than a Mike Pettin defense. We've seen that now during his entire stint here in Green Bay. I just want to like say again about the Bucks that, when we went into, you said we've just talked about their defense, right? But I think there were some preconceived notions about how high octane, how ceiling based this offense could be. And it looks like we are, there is, this is not the Tom Brady redemption tour every week. This is a, we would like to win as a team effort. We have a solid, much like New England was, we have a solid defense. We have a capable backfield and we have these receiving weapons that were certainly better than the last few years that Tom Brady had to have in New England. But also there is not going to be enough because of the strength of the defense necessarily as the the fireworks are not going to be here. So we don't, you know, I think we've consistently been ranking both Chris Godwin and Mike Evans inside the top 15. And I think we need to step back from doing that and just look at the matchups, look up which cornerbacks are are suited or more likely to cover which of these receivers and kind of make choices from there. Yeah, and I mean, uh, that's why I wasn't really drafting either of these receivers. I love Chris Godwin. I love Mike Evans. But this was sort of the worry was that they wouldn't be a Brady-centric team. And I think, obviously, you could ask the question, well, is Tom Brady good anymore? I think we know, like, Brady's still pretty good. He's still got it. He's not... Um, completely washed up or whatever. He's been able to make it work with these guys at different portions of the season, but not all at the same time. Like you're saying, the volume is not there for that type of offense. I also think we can like forget about like, okay, Scotty Miller and these other guys, like he's not going to elevate these players to that point because they just don't have to because their defense is good and they're running the ball pretty well too. Uh, I don't think Joe Flacco still got it though. Uh, okay. Can we talk about Joe Flacco for a second? Like we need to, we need to have a dialogue about this. What is Joe Flacco doing playing quarterback for the New York Jets? And, and I don't mean this how people might think like it is Joe Flacco. I I know he's got to put kids through college and all that. And like, you know, 1.5 million is nice for anybody, but Flacco's made a lot of dough throughout his career. Uh, I wouldn't blame him one bit if he just like retires in a couple hours. You know, what, what the hell, Joe Flacco? Like, do you really need the 1.5 million this bad to, to, to play for the 2020 jets? Like I, I had, I tweeted that and people were like, well, maybe you just really love football. I, I don't know that the jets are playing football in 2020. Number one, I don't know what the hell they're doing out there, but I didn't play football. And I, I'll tell you what, I watched Joe Flacco today. Cause I, I, got, I, I put the red channel on and there was, <laughs> there was only two games. Okay. There are two games to, to watch. So when I wasn't watching Aaron Rodgers getting sacked, I was watching Joe Flacco look like he was having the most miserable day of his life. You know, glaring at LaMichael P. Ryan, you know, looking off into the distance at times. Like, 
we need to have a, a discussion about what what is Joe Flacco doing playing for this team? Like, come on, Joe, you don't, I don't you don't think need he to expected that he would find the field, right? Like, I mean, I don't. Yeah, think he, I think he was like, oh, cool, I can like, I can low level Drew Stanton it a little bit with Sam Sam Darnold's the future. How many how many flipping times have we heard Sam Darnold is the future? It doesn't matter about ghosts. It doesn't matter about accuracy. This is the future of the franchise. We're gonna give him all the things in in the draft, except we're only gonna draft one damn receiver. And like then and, and then we're surprised when he has I don't think Joe I think when Sam Darnold got hurt and hurt his shoulder or his collarbone, I think Joe Flacco was the first person to let out an expletive, not Sam Darnold's mom. Yeah. Yep. I I completely agree. He's got to be like, I didn't sign up for this, okay? I didn't sign up to play. Like, no. I would have, I wouldn't, again, when he goes out, gets his revenge against the Broncos, obviously that's got to happen. But he, I, I, he should have retired the next day. Like, fake an injury, Joe. Come on. You, you're a Super Bowl champion. You're, you're a hero in the city of Baltimore. You don't, you don't deserve this. Nobody deserves to play for this this Jets team. It's like it's not even funny anymore how bad they are. It's 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 really just it's kind of sad. You know, you got the inevitable Greg Williams Adam Gase beef. Um that was sh- shocking. That's a that's a shocker. How does but Greg like, Williams I'm I'm going to get in trouble for this one, but like how does Greg Greg Williams still have a, a job? Like in how is he still Who's going to get you in after- trouble for that? <laughs> I, I mean Anybody who can, Greg, he can obviously the powers that be because every year he is he managed to get he manages to get another DC gig and I I cannot figure it out like how did this not stop in New Orleans I don't know I mean they're like yeah they're undisciplined and they're like dirty defenses literally everywhere he goes uh, and That's it's it. well there's always like um there's always a moment during the first season that you have Greg Williams where it's like okay like yeah these these guys get after it. Like, you know, they can put some pressure on the quarterback. They make some plays. And the longer he's there, the worse it gets. And obviously, like, you know, you've got two hothead personalities there in Gase and Williams. They're starting to fight now in the media. Great stuff. I really do wonder, like, I mean, are the Jets just cosplaying like a football disaster at this point? Or are they actually going to make a change (laughs) at the head coaching position? (laughs) Because, I mean, (laughs) like, how are we – like like I said, they're they're, – they're a joke. Like they're 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 a joke. I know we've seen, we've seen bad football teams before, but like you know, like Adam Gase splits out Frank Gore at wide receiver today after cutting Le'Veon Bell, who complained about not getting passing game reps. Like it's it's just a troll job at this point, right? Like it, it has to be. Frank Gore had seventy scrimmage yards in this effort. Like he was the bright spot. Rashad Perryman by Leesburg. He came back. You know, he's like, it's a a return to greatness for Rashad Perryman who led the team in receiving yards with a whopping 62. I mean, he did have like a a long, a long 20 plus yard catch, which was interesting, but like no one, no one is dealing with this. Like I don't, I also never want to hear this Jamison Crowder crap ever again. Like I'm, I'm done. We already ended the Chris Herndon nonsense last week. If you need to stream, and especially because Le'Veon Bell was no longer on the roster, Frank Gore makes sense. Fine. Let's talk about the Dolphins. Um, Miles Gaston, Gaskin rushed for over 90 yards. This looked like a gettable matchup for him. But again, if you we're still tilting at tight end. Like if you once you get past the Jets tilt in general, then you see the Adam Shaheen <laughs> tilt uh at tight end and and Mike Gasecki like. And Durham Smith. Flipping bagel. 
I, I know his name is Durham Smythe, but you know, Durham Smith, he gets a touchdown over Mike Gusecki. Yeah. Tough, uh, the tough other scene. One. Tough scene. Adam um, Gase didn't get to, uh, uh, I mean, my, my, uh, what's his name? Gusecki, Mike Gusecki forgot about his name. Cause he didn't score any fantasy points. Uh, Mike Gusecki didn't get his revenge on Adam Gase in this one. Tough, tough break there. Um, there isn't enough revenge left to get all of it. That is deemed necessary on Adam Gase. No, clearly not. Hey, we got to see two in this one. Uh, that's the most exciting thing. I feel like we talked about this game longer than any of the others, which is probably like a crime <laughs> against humanity. Uh, Monday afternoon, we've got a double header on Monday. So today, when you're listening to this, uh, we've got Kansas City and Buffalo, and then Monday Night Football is Arizona and Dallas. Um, anything you want to keep an eye on? other, Or should we just like hashtag start your guys? Yeah, I think you start your guys in this one. Uh, this game <laughs> kicks off like what? 2 p.m. Pacific? 2 p.m. Pacific, right? This thing yeah. kicks off? Yeah. Well, like, that's weird. That's going to be weird. This It's like football season continues to push boundaries of like how weird can we make this thing feel. It starts up out of nowhere unexpectedly. You know, uh, week one slaps you in the face. Then they throw these Tuesday night games at you. 2 p.m. Now I'm going to be done. I'm going to get, I do my fearless forecast at 1 p.m. Yeah. Expect a lot of great accuracy on those 1 p.m. on a Monday afternoon. Uh, and then I got to I'll, I'll be done with them and there'll be time to start watching football. What, <laughs> what the hell? What a weird year. Well, and it's disturbing because this is the game that I think is the most exciting, right? Like I, I want to watch how to, I want to see the chiefs try to come back from a disappointing effort from the week before and then you also want to see if the Tuesday night curse was what got into Josh Allen's head last week as well it, it is all weird no Thursday night this week I couldn't remember the the matchups for the I was like I almost made myself flashcards this morning for FFL to remember which teams uh were playing which teams in this week because of all of the shuffling anyway uh Andy Dalton <laughs> is going to make his debut like why isn't anyone talking about this Andy Dalton is going to make his debut as the Cowboys starter on primetime yeah that's a narrative street thing to say but we always it it certainly always works out really well for him when the lights are bright oh yeah that's right if primetime Andy Dalton uh, I mean like everyone's expecting this like Four touchdown, three hundred and thirty yard effort. This is a prime time effort for Andy Dalton. Maybe he can exercise some demons of his own and reclaim that narrative. Though we'll see. The silver lining, though, Liz. At least now he'll play in prime time for um, you know one of the most, uh, actually the most popular team in 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 pro football in Dallas, as opposed to playing for a team that nobody watches or cares about in the Bengals. So that'll certainly ramp down the pressure. Are you, that's only going to make him more shook. Like he can't, he doesn't want to know, I know that. Was, he doesn't was, want to be America's quarterback. I was being sarcastic. I was being sarcastic. It, was, it clearly oh, okay. didn't land. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The connection has been wonky. Um, all right, Matt, you file an article that weirdos read very late at night, but everybody else lead, reads when we're listening, when they're listening to this, maybe. Um, so it's going to come off of the Sunday night game. That's what you tell me every week when I ask you this question. <laughs> what, what do you think you might tease it with, though? Yeah, it'll come off on the Sunday night game. <laughs> uh, so Rams, Rams 49ers should be a treat. But I, I definitely want to talk uh, a good amount about 
Um, some of the things we talked about in this podcast, like, you know, so a lot of the, you know, we, since we talk about every game, some of the things that I've already said on this podcast, I'll write again in the article too. Definitely go read Great. it. Yeah, it, it really, if you're into redundancy, <laughs> check that out. Be sure to do it. Uh, we also have lots of, speaking of redundancy, podcasts. More of those. Uh, the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. The Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. One more thanks to Planters. Andy and Scott will be back tomorrow morning to talk pickups. I can't wait to hear all their Tim Patrick takes. Until then, we're out. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. But we'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.